0: everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. I want to invite somebody who is a friend to the church, a friend to me, one of the longest standing members of NAC. And uh, about a year ago, I met with her and just got to hear a bit of her heart. And I think what emerged a little bit, whether she knew it or not, was, I think, a bit of her life message. And some of it is based on this passage that we're studying in Ephesians 2. And so when this part of the series came up, I knew exactly who I wanted to ask to come share her heart and a teaching from Ephesians 2. Um, Please give a big welcome to somebody you know and love well. This is Elizabeth Stanley, everybody. Thanks, Jonathan. So good morning everybody, Um, I am really pumped to be up here today to share with you some things that I think God has been laying on my heart for a long time now and uh, I'm going to do this by digging into as Jonathan said Ephesians chapter 2 especially verse 10 which tells us we are God's workmanship created for the good works he has prepared for us. But verses 1 to 9 are important, kind of foundational, so I want to speak briefly about them before I go on to verse 10. So if we could have the next slide. As we've learned in previous weeks, Ephesians is a letter to the believers in Ephesus from Paul, who was a leader in the early church, the first generation of Christians. And he probably wrote it when he was in prison. He wrote it to caution and encourage believers and to help them walk out their lives as Christians. So, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Although Paul is speaking to believers, followers of Christ, there's something in this for all of us, whether you're a believer, whether you're searching and curious about who Jesus is, or whether you're just visiting NAC today. In these verses, Paul begins by reminding the believers that they were once people who let the world tell them who they were and tell them how to live. Sound familiar? They followed the ways of the world and were living in sin. It goes on to say that God in his love and mercy saved them. And he does the same for us. We don't need to live under the power of sin or its consequences. The penalty and power of sin was destroyed by Jesus on the cross. This is salvation. And this is a gift from God. It is by his grace that we are saved through faith. Not through anything that we do ourselves. Good works don't give us salvation. They flow from salvation. And this is important stuff. So why does God create a way for us to be saved? He loves us. He wants us to walk with him, to know him, to be in relationship with him, to join him in the work that he is doing, so that our good works will reflect his character and draw others to him. He doesn't need us to be involved. He invites us to be involved in the work that he does. So Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. I am his workmanship. He prepares good works for all of us to do. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our good works show the world the character of God, His mercy, His grace, and His love. And if you could put the next slide up. The Greek word for, um, that's often translated as workmanship, but it can also be translated as works of art. We are his works of art. Think of that, the creator of the universe that made you. If we are his works of art, then we are also his masterpieces. And he tells us in Genesis that he created us in his image. He created us to be like him. If we're created in his image, if we are his works of art, then we can look to God's character and who he has shown us he is to learn about ourselves and our potential. In my walk with God, he has shown himself to be faithful. He does not give up on me. Full of grace, he is lovingly kind to me, even when I don't deserve it. He is wise. He provides good counsel to me, whether through his word in the Bible, through fellow Christians, or by directly impressing on me his desire for me. And he is forgiving. I don't deserve forgiveness, and yet he gives it, and he gives it freely. He doesn't want me to stay stay tied up in the guilt of my past. I could go on, and I could provide specific examples. And I'm sure uh, many of you can also. But I I don't want to go there today. Um, So I'm guessing some of you might be thinking about this list of God's character right now and going, "Uh uh-uh. That is not me. I must not be created in his image. But you are. Let me continue. It gets even more amazing, incredible, and unbelievable. He tells us we are loved, chosen, rescued, his son and daughter, free from condemnation, a new creation, complete in Christ. Have you ever paused to really take in these truths? It's powerful. It's not earned. As believers, it's our inheritance. God himself has freely given these things to us. But the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that you are God's masterpiece in his own image? I think many of us have lost our identity as God's masterpieces. We hear it but we assume it doesn't apply to us. Some of us can take it in intellectually and think about it as truth, but how many of us can move that knowledge to our hearts and experience the love and the hope and the joy and the freedom that's contained within these words? They are expressions of love to us from our Heavenly Father, the greatest gift we will ever receive. And God does not make mistakes. If you could put up the next slide. God is an amazing creator. You just have to look in the heavens at the stars and the planets, or deep in the oceans at the multitudes of different plants and animal life, or go for a walk in the forest. The complexity, the simplicity, the beauty, the variety, the colors are actually outrageously over the top. We can see this in nature and appreciate it. But I think most of us struggle to see his creativity, his complexity, and his beauty in ourselves. So how do we reconcile how we view ourselves with his truth about who we are? Why is it so hard to embrace who he says we are? I think a lot of it has to do with the negative messages the world bombards us with every day as we live our lives. We're told we need to own certain things, look a certain way, do certain things. The overlying message is that there's something wrong with us and we need to fix it. The world focuses on the external, but God focuses on the internal. Many of us in our lives have also been told negative things about ourselves. Or our circumstances in our life have led us to believe negative things, like we're not enough, we're too loud, or we're too messy, or we're irresponsible, or we're just not good enough, or we're not lovable. Whatever the messages were, they continue to play in our heads. We may be unaware of them, but they influence how we experience ourselves, our choices, and our lives. They distance us from God and God's truth about us. Researchers have shown that people who embrace the positive in their lives experience physical and emotional benefits, like an increased lifespan, lower rates of depression, lower levels of distress, even a higher resistance to the common cold. Researchers are just catching up with what God already knew. He created us this way, and these are just some of the benefits of embracing God's truth about us. But God didn't make us this way just for our benefit. There are things he wants us to do. If we see ourselves as unworthy or helpless, we tend to give up. We start to believe that there's nothing we can do. But there is so much that needs to be done in the world. And getting stuck in the lies and living outside of God's truth gets in the way of our doing it. God wants us to let in what he is saying about us. Do you want to replace the messages of this world with God's truth? I hope you answered yes. He gave us these truths to help us see ourselves as he sees us. But this story doesn't end here. We are who God says we are. We are his workmanship, prepared for his good works, And we are a work in progress. It's not an either-or. It's a this and this. We are not a finished product. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13, We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. We don't always understand what God is doing or his ways. So on this side of heaven, We are called to lean in and trust, hope, and love. And if we could go to the next slide. Our challenge is to trust, hope, and love God enough to believe what he says about us. Even though there are limitations to our understanding and to do the good works that he has prepared for us, are you willing to let him continue to work in you and your life and to prepare you for these good works. He wants to equip us. So where do you need God to work in your life? Where do you need to let him in more? Next slide. I love the metaphor of God as the potter and us as his creation. It shows the messiness of the process and the intimacy of the process. It speaks to his deep knowing of us. We are crafted with skill and purpose, made to his specifications, and it resonates with the love that he has for us. Are you open to setting down those things that get in the way of God's creative process in you? For me, this makes me think of my my self-image, my pride, wanting my own way, wanting to be right, and wanting earthly rewards. And this is not an exhaustive list. (laughs) What we fear the most often points us to where we trust God the least. What will help us to trust God with our fears, with our doubts and our unbelief, so we can freely move from who we think we are to who God made us to be and is making us to be? My life experiences have brought me to a place of knowing that the trust required begins when I acknowledge the limitations of who I am and what I know and lean into and follow God's wisdom for my life. I truly believe that his plan is greater than mine. But getting to this understanding was a messy and intimate process for me. Several years ago, my brother was diagnosed with leukemia. He was in his late 30s. I was a pretty new Christian, and my faith in trust in God was still forming. I was very close to my brother. You can imagine this news rocked my world. Keith and I and our first daughter moved from Mississauga to Newmarket so that we could be closer to his family and to my parents so that we could help out more. He had two children under three. About three years later, difficult years, in which I prayed for healing, my brother passed away. I was shocked. By this time, we knew that this is what was coming, but I still couldn't believe it. I was angry. I was helpless to change any of it. I railed against God. I pulled back. I doubted. The pain was overwhelming. I cried out to know why, but there were no answers, and I felt betrayed and unloved. Why is not the question. In this dark time of grief, one of the things God helped me to see was that I had a belief that if I accepted Jesus as my Savior, then bad things wouldn't happen to me. I wanted that to be part of what he promises, but it's not. His promise is to be with us through whatever comes. I felt his love, but I was too hurt, and I was too angry. So one day I was standing in worship, right here in this room, just over there, and I was crying. I often cried during worship after the death of my brother. And I felt God say to me, you have to choose. You can't stay in this place of anger and doubt if you want to fully know me and let me work in your life. In your anger, you cannot feel the fullness of my love. It was a clear choice he set out before me. And I knew he was right. I wanted to trust him, even though my brother wasn't healed and I wanted to love him, even though my brother wasn't healed. I did not want to carry this pain on my own. A few weeks back, we were reading Habakkuk in my small group, and a friend shared that one of her favorite Bible verses is at the very end of this book. It it perfectly sums up how I felt in that moment, all those years ago, when the Lord told me I had to choose. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights I have cried every time I have read this passage in preparation for today (laughs) I finally asked myself and God okay God what are the tears about it and I realized that they speak to the depth of learning and commitment that took place on that day I know that I know that I know if you can relate to my story if you're feeling grief or loss, or doubt, or disappointment in God. Anything that's keeping you separate from God, from His love, from trusting Him fully. Please, either come and talk to me afterwards, or Jonathan, or there's a prayer team. There's people here willing to talk and pray with you. Don't stay in that place. I know it's painful, I know it's lonely, and it separates you from the fullness of God's love for you. He wants to walk life with you. I was baptized shortly after that. I chose to let go of my doubts and lean into his trust, his hope, and his love. Before I go on, I just want to pause here and give a huge shout out for small groups. One of the best things that ever happened in my life, my husband's life, and in the life of our family were small groups, and it goes way beyond sharing Bible verses. There's nothing that can replace walking out your life with other believers, sharing life, being the village for each other's children. It has a generational impact. So going back to my decision, I don't always live my life from this place of knowing that I know that I know. I'm a work in progress. I fail. I'm sometimes uncertain, but when I'm hurting or afraid, I can remember back to that morning standing in worship and the choice I made, and it gives me a deep sense of peace and conviction. I relive the truth and the trust I knew so deeply In that moment, are you willing to trust him? I think fear gets in the way of my ability to trust. Fear makes me hesitate to say yes to the good works he has prepared for me. We're afraid that we're not who he says we are. We're afraid we don't have what it takes. We're afraid he won't walk through it with us. We're afraid he won't show up for us but we can't do it alone and we don't have to. In John five seventeen, Jesus tells us that both he and his father are at work. He says, my father is always at work and to this very day, I too am working. And Jesus invites us, for the next slide, to come to me all who are tired from carrying heavy loads and I will give you rest. Place my yoke over your shoulders and learn from, learn from me, because I am gentle and humble. Then you will find rest for yourselves, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Many rabbis during this time used the reference of being yoked to their followers, but the difference here is that Jesus said that his yoke was light. His call is not about rules which the other rabbis focused on. His call is for an intimate relationship with him, a journey in growth where Jesus is bearing the load and we get to share in his joy. Often I've wished part of what Jesus meant when he said that, that his yoke was light was that he would be crystal clear about the work he wanted me to do and when. But that was never his plan. It's often not clear. God only shows me one step at a time. It keeps me in a place of having to stay close and intimate with him and let him keep working in me. And still, I want to walk in his will for my life. I want to be his hands and feet in this world. I want to do the works he has prepared for me. Sometimes it's not obvious what God's doing, but I believe that God's always working and preparing us, even when we can't see it. Through my readings and other teachings, I've been thinking a lot about King David. He began as a shepherd, humble beginnings, caring for his father's sheep, not an auspicious beginning for a future king, off on his own, alone for days. But we know that he took his job very seriously, we are told that he defended the sheep against bears and lions. And these experiences built his trust in the Lord and prepared him for the good works that God had for him, which was to be a warrior. Just before entering the battlefield to slay Goliath, David said, The Lord who saved me from the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. God also used David's musical abilities. David was called to play his lyre for Saul to help him when he was suffering from an affliction. And later, when David was hiding in a cave from Saul, he spent his time writing songs. This was likely seen by David to be a difficult and perhaps fruitless time for a warrior, isolated and inactive. But God used this time. The songs that David composed are what make up the book of Psalms in the Bible, and they have been providing encouragement and hope to people for thousands of years. And finally, after a long and seemingly circuitous route, David is crowned king, which I'm sure he saw as his real work, but God used it all. And what do we learn from this? God can use every part of our story for his purposes, and time can give us perspective and help, and help us to see where God was working in us and in our lives, even though we couldn't see it in the moment. One more thing I want to mention using David as the example. Although I think there are many examples in the Bible, David really wanted to build the temple. But God said no. And to me, this shows that God does not prepare the same works for all of us. And we should not compare the works that God gives us to those that he gives others. We need to trust that he is a loving God and he knows what he's doing. And be obedient to the work that he leads us to. I see as I look back on my own life how God has been working in me all along, giving me the challenges and experiences I need to prepare me for the things to come. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. A few years back, I was ready for a change in my life and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I began to spend more time with the Lord, praying and listening. And to make a long story short, through a series of God incidents, I am now a trained and certified life coach. When I started down this path, I put my trust in God. I trusted that he knew what he was doing. He was continuing to shape and mold me. It was new. It was unknown. It was challenging. It was exciting. And I now see how God used everything in my life up until this time to prepare me for this work my prayer ministry, my work with the spiritual freedom team, my own life circumstances, my pains, my struggles, my joys. I'm grateful that God has walked with me throughout my life. And this is what I now get to do as a life coach. I get to walk with others, listening and encouraging, challenging and championing, helping them find their calling and their life purpose and the work that God has created for them. When I respond to the work that God is calling me to, it can feel pretty scary. I've learned to feel the fear, lean into him, and move forward anyways. Although sometimes my resistance gets the better me, or sometimes I'm just not sure what the next step is, and then the process can be longer and messier. But on the other side of the fear is an aliveness that comes from knowing that it is God working in me that makes me able. I flourish when I am rooted in him and shaped by him. And it gives me a sense of hope and meaning in my life. Every year when I plan our trip to the far north to work with indigenous people, I feel this fear. What they need is so far beyond what we can bring. I would not go if I did not know that God goes with me. And I'm grateful that God wants me and all of us to be a part of his plan, his redemptive force in this world, and that he doesn't give up on any of us. And the next slide. Oh, sorry. Next slide. That's King David. (laughs) Next slide. There you go. So I just want to briefly mention uh, one more thing that I think helps us to own our identity in Christ Trust him and his work in us and to do the work that he's prepared us for. And that is to slow down. It's important. Sometimes I'm too busy to listen, too exhausted to respond. Valuing ourselves more highly, the busier we are, is a lie we have adopted from this world. John Ortberg, in his book, The Me I Want to Be, Becoming God's Best Version of You, asks, what does this pace of life do to our souls? And he goes on to say that we have bought into that lie that the more you rest, the less status you have. God rested on the seventh day after creating the world, and he calls us to rest. We know that. We read that Jesus often went off by himself to rest. So what is rest, and why is it so important to God? I've noticed that if I slow down long enough and often enough to read his word, to sit with him or walk with him to listen to his voice to meditate on his truths I will better know and trust his character and better understand who he created me to be and how he's working in my life I will more clearly hear what work he's calling me to and I'll be more willing to say yes And I will likely be better able to do it because I'm not overscheduled or overworked doing the work of this world. The more I spend time with him and know him, the more I can embrace that I am his workmanship and his masterpiece. And the less time I spend doubting my abilities and missing the opportunities to do the work that he's calling me to I know for many of us, one of the things that keeps us busy and distracted is our phones, and so I just had to share this line from this book I've been reading. I have to read this quote. It's from John Mark Comer's latest book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. There are literally thousands of apps and devices intentionally engineered to steal your attention, and with it, your money. Your phone doesn't actually work for you. You pay for it, yes, but it works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not for you. You're not the customer, you're the product. It's your attention that's for sale, along with your peace of mind." It just, when I read that, I just had to stop and take it in. I have been learning about rest, and for me, in many ways, it's a lot easier for me to learn about rest than to actually rest. One thing that I've learned is that I've spent a lot of my time in my life busy, striving to build a reputation of someone who is capable and responsible, when all I really wanted was to be known and loved. Spending time with God helps me to know and love him, and in the process, he shows me how he knows and loves me. From a place of rest, I'm better able to love God, myself, and others extravagantly. So when Jonathan says, go and be the church, he's telling us to go and do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. And God knows that we are capable of what he has prepared for us to do because we are his workmanship and he continues to work in us. So don't let doubt put obstacles in your way. Stand in the truth that you are God's workmanship, his works of art, his masterpieces. Allow him to continue to work in you. Go out and do good works. Thank you.
1: I don't know about you, but if I do any painting, I always get paint on my hands and uh, I wash my hands And then the next day I notice there's still some paint on it. So I wash my hands again and then um, maybe even a few days later there's still some paint in a crevice somewhere. And so I think I want to encourage you, this is a word when there's a lot of dirt stuck on us and we've been listening to a lot of lies. It doesn't just disappear on one hearing. So I'd encourage you this week to... Listen to the podcast again and um, listen to this word and let let the truth that God's speaking to us in this whole series uh, wash our hands and make us clean. And then when we're spending time in in looking at Ephesians, um, maybe, maybe not just read that word once, maybe try and find some time each day to read that word and ask God, today, what are you saying to me?